0: The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Now, one of my friends uh, is the secretary of the Australian Skeptics Society, you yeah, may not be sure if you believe me or not about that, but I'll try and prove it to you later on. You know, small, attempted humour. Uh, I'm having lunch with him on uh, on Friday this week. Last week he asked me a question, and uh, we will talk about this on Friday. He said, one of the questions that he asks Christians is this. If God said he was going on holidays... And God said, I'm not going to tell you when I'm going, and I'm not going to tell you how long I'm going, but I'm going for quite a while. He said, How did you work out when it was that God left, and when God went on holidays and wasn't doing anything? His point being that the way the world appears uh, is very ambiguous about whether God's there or not. Namely, the poor get exploited, there's suffering, tyrants you know, ride, tyrants reign, there's slavery, there's sexual slavery, there's greed, there's all all sorts of things. And and where is God in this? Now, I mean to read the Bible pretty regularly with a couple of businessmen who are trying to work out what it means to be Christian, and quite regularly one of them will, will take something out of the news and, and show you some horrific event that's happened and he'll say, Well, oh, why did God allow that? Does he not care? I mean, well that's that's a fair question now what um, what can get even worse if you like or what makes it even more complicated is if you're a Christian believer then you may be aware that, that Christians get persecuted or suffer simply for being Christians So, for example, this book, persecuted the Global Assault on Christians, uh, put out by the Hudson Institute for Religious Freedom uh, in Washington, Uh, Washington, D.C., this man, Paul Marshall, uh, that's Nina Shea, the uh, the lady at the bottom, 300 pages where they list uh, countries where, either for communism or Islam or terrorism or whatever it is, where Christians are actively persecuted simply for making the name of Jesus. And no doubt you've seen... And the news is terrible photos of people who are Christians lined up in the orange suits and have been murdered by ISIS simply for being Christian. In fact, uh, Voice of the Martyrs is an organisation begun by uh, Richard Wormbrand, who is a Christian pastor locked up by the communists in Romania. Uh, They list in their 2015 report over 50 countries, and you can see them... uh, uh, Shown in red. This is just on their website. If you just Google Voice of the Martyrs, 50 countries where uh, Christians can be um, beaten, locked up, uh, have their possessions confiscated, even be killed simply for naming the name of Jesus. And so my skeptical friend would say, Well, where is God in all that? What's going on? Why does that happen? Now, if you hold that thought and uh, uh, have a look at the part of the Bible that we've handed out today. Uh, I, I don't know whether you're used to the Bible or not. Maybe you do follow Jesus. Maybe you don't. If, if you're still thinking about investigating, great to have you here. I want to have a look with you in that context of people who followed Jesus being persecuted and suffering injustice. Look at the, the story or the parable that Jesus tells about prayer. Let me read to you. The uh, most on the right-hand side of the page is the one we're looking at most. I'll see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. We could translate it as wear me down. Now, uh, in those days, in that culture, I guess in some, some extent in our culture, uh, to be a widow was really to be powerless and in some ways defenseless. Sort of in that culture, no man to protect her. She really was kind of the, the bottom of the food chain in terms of power. So, what does this particular lady have uh, in her favour? answer, well, she just won't give up. And a woman who won't give up, very powerful person. Uh, If I could say, my Cathy, okay, sweet little Chinese lady, she's now a grandmother, completely harmless, very gentle, Uh, don't you believe it. In our last house, we've been a woman on five years ago, uh, we we moved out in, in January 2010 and we paid up all our accounts to Telstra, finished it all up, done. A few months later, like in the middle of that year, we got a bill from Telstra for $80 for phone rental in a house and we'd already gone three months before. So I just wrote back to them and said, this is a mistake, and then they sent the bill again, and I wrote back, this is a mistake, and each time I wrote back the letters on the, that I wrote on the bill got a little bit bigger and ended up on a text, then I called in the heavy guns, I handed it to Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there issued this massive arm wrestle between this huge bureaucracy and the little Chinese much. And, and month after month it went backwards. the trouble was, every time we came, we can't get office where we are. We have to work with Telstra. my um, mobile phone reception and all that stuff. Um, every time we came to do anything with Telstra, they'd say, ah, oh, you owe us $80. And we say, we do not and back and at call centres overseas, like, my Kathy is a force of nature, and eventually she climbed the food chain high enough for someone to say, "Okay, you win," and they crossed out the head. And there was a small celebration that night with our kids and the guys who cheered. Mum had won. What's the point? She just wouldn't give up. That's the point of the parable. Now, is Jesus saying... You can work out that the judge is the one who's supposed to answer her request. Is Jesus saying that that God is like Telstra? And by the way, I, I know it's a complete anomaly. the only time that's ever happened with a Telstra customer. I know if you work with Telstra, that's that like Is is, um, it, is Jesus saying God's like Telstra? Or, now let's get back to the parable. Is Jesus saying God is like the unjust judge? No. The point of the parable is this. He's saying... You've got a judge who doesn't care about justice and doesn't care about people. And because this woman kept on asking, he did what she wanted. How much more God, who cares about justice and cares about his people, how much more should you keep on asking him to bring justice because because he will? Because he'll answer it. Now, what, what is it, though, that she comes asking for? It's worth noticing. And here's where this talk is now different to what I thought it was going to be a couple of weeks ago, because I've really looked at this part of the Bible. Okay. What is it that she asks for? Let me show you here. Uh, oh, no, sorry, go okay. back. Uh, you can pray about anything okay, in the Bible. But, um, the Apostle Paul writes to the Christians in Philippi, uh, in his letter, it's called Philippians, chapter 4. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Pray. Right. Ask God, Lee, no, ask God to, to help you with things. You can pray about anything. In fact, He is. Um, where are we going here? Is that. And is that. Russ, why are we not. Is that shiny? What's well, gone wrong? I wanted to show you. The power's gone off. The I pulled it out? Yes.
1: Look at that. There you go.
0: There we go, uh, Russ. No one plugs in the powerpoint like you do, mate. <laughs> My fault. Okay. I wanted to show you this. Is worth seeing at the Sydney <laughs> Prayer Breakfast. How are we going? Give a second. Oh, this <laughs> never happens to Doctor Phil or <laughs> either, Anyway, not that I watch Doctor Phil. Over. Yeah. Okay. Art, yeah. Okay. Uh, we... please clean filter. Okay. <laughs> All right. I don't know if you can see that the projector isn't perhaps as is bright as it could be but then you need to present it today. Uh, 930 people at the City Prayer It's just down here at the Western, last Friday. Uh, it was fantastic. Uh had the Premier there and the Police Commissioner and the Governor of New South Wales. And there's uh, the people, my friend Peter Caldwell, thanking Glenn Stevens, uh, the uh, yeah. Governor of the Reserve Bank, who spoke. Uh, brilliant event. And what did they pray for? Well, they prayed for our city and uh, the people who run the city at all different levels and, and all sorts of stuff. But what particularly, look at the, the parable of Jesus soul what particularly is Jesus talking about here as he talks about the widow who won't give up? What's she asking for? Can you see the red? Right. Um, verse 3, was a widow in the town who kept coming to him with a plea. Grant me what? Justice. Or in verse 5, I'll see that she gets Justice. Uh, or verse 6, uh, and will not God bring about justice? And there it is again verse 8. What's she praying? That, that God would right the wrongs that have been, or that the judge would right the wrongs that have been done to her. I'm going to say I've lived a, a very um, sheltered life in terms of injustice. I sat down this morning and think, what example am I going to give of the injustices that have been done to me? And I, if I reach back 10 years, somebody ran into me in the traffic and they've like that, that's it, I've I nothing. But what I do know, is, as i talk to people, if you've been unjustly treated, if you've been bullied, if someone in authority has done the wrong thing to you or whatever, it, it really stings. Really stings. And what Jesus is saying is that those who follow Jesus should actually expect that it will happen. If you look back over the left-hand side of the page and back to chapter 17, and remember, well, you may know that as Luke has written his story, his history of Jesus is meant to be just read in one continuous flow. And so, uh, you notice in verse chapter 17, verse 22, Jesus said to his disciples, for "Those who are following him." And then in 18.1, Jesus said to his disciples, so this is to, when he looks at disciples, the same as what we might say by Christians. What's he saying? See 17.22? Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. What does he mean? I'm sure that he means the time will come when you will be persecuted. And you'll long for Jesus to come back and to bring justice and to set things right. But it won't happen when you want it to happen. And you will suffer. Uh, He he said that again and again. We looked at it in chapter 10 a while ago that Jesus says it will happen. Why? Well he says well if if they hate you don't be surprised because they they hated me. See 1725 he says, but first, he, speaking of himself, but first Jesus must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So Jesus has never done anything wrong, and they killed him. Don't be surprised if there's un, you know, injustice and persecution of those who follow him. Now in our in our country, there's very little real hardcore persecution of Christians. Um, I can imagine in fact I think I can see that there's more and more coming the way the wind is blowing um, I don't think I'm paranoid but even if you're paranoid it doesn't mean they are not out to get you <laughs> right, anyway but uh, I, I can say I think the wind is blowing from a different direction and that it will not take not too far into the future, it will cost a lot more to be a real follower of Jesus in Australia than it does at the moment. But can you imagine, uh, I know not all of us are followers of Jesus, but I think we could all imagine this, can you imagine how it would feel to have lost a father or mother, brother, sister, son, daughter to those monsters who murdered the people in the orange jumpsuits? Can you imagine how that would feel or, or to be in one of the countries where someone you love has been locked up or where your family's been targeted just just for you by it? And so I, it, I think it, it's very real and has been for 20 centuries. In some ways, it's Australia and the, 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 the safety and peace in the Western world that's the anomaly. And now, look at verse chapter 18, verse 6. What is it that Jesus says as he's explaining the parable? He says, and the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And so the, the unjust judge says this, right, about I'll give her justice. And then Jesus says, verse 7, and will not God bring about justice to his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? The answer is no, he, he will give them justice. But they may have to wait for a little while. Um, in the book of Revelation, uh, Revelation is written by John, who is Jesus' closest friend, closest disciple. Um, and in, um, you get to Revelation chapter 6, and, and John has a, a vision of heaven, of what it's like now. Revelation is particularly about the time between when Jesus first came to be with us, and then the time when Jesus will come back again to bring the judgment day. And he has a vision of what's going on in heaven and he's told, when he, Jesus, opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar uh, in heaven the souls of those who have been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that maintained. They called out a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. In other words, avenge those who have who have murdered these people, who have martyred them. Notice they're, they're They're martyrs, why? For the word of God, they believe what God said. And the testimony, the idea that they were witnesses about Jesus. And what is each of them told, verse 11? That each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. They're actually told, wait, God knows how many people will actually be martyred for the name of Jesus. It's not outside God's control. It will happen. God has his reasons. And they're told to wait. Hold on. It's coming. Just hold on. Now why is it that Jesus waits? Why is he, he waiting too long? Why does he do that? Well, another one of Jesus' close friends, Peter, uh, writes his, this is his second letter to the Christians, the followers of Jesus. And he explains why it is that Jesus waits. And that really, it's not that long a time. So, um, it's 2 Peter 3, verse 8, it says this. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, he means with Jesus. A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. So, from the perspective of eternity, it's only been like a long weekend since Jesus was here. Right? The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's not disorganised, he's not lazy, he's not... Uh, uh, Yeah, he's not sitting on his hands. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. What's he meant? The reason Jesus waits to come to come back to bring the judgment day is to give people time to turn around and come back to him and be forgiven. It's it's his kindness that he waits. Now, will it be hard? I I think Jesus understands that it will be hard for his people to hold on and to keep trusting him when the world will be difficult. I mean, even, even in peaceful, calm, easygoing Australia, it can be difficult to follow of the whole world going in the other direction and trying to swim upstream all of those things. You see 18 verse 1, see how he introduces the parable? And Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So keep going, keep going. Why? Well, it will come. The end of the parable, see verse 7? It'll come quickly. He says, It will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? The answer is no. He says, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Now, there's a little bit of a wrinkle. That word quickly, there's two different ways it, it can be translated. And it's kind of a judgment call. It's, it's, it occurs a number of times in the New Testament. It can mean soon, as in, like, I'm going to finish this talk soon. I will, I promise. Okay. And it also mean quickly. Uh, now, I think it, it's hard to know exactly which one he means. It could mean it either. The idea of soon, well, like I say, if, if Jesus and the apostles see things from the perspective of eternity... The judgment day will be soon. It can feel like a long time now, but in the future, it'll only be... I'll give you an example. Uh, Kathy and I, <coughs> the Chinese grandmother that I talked about, I'm going to get a funky of this. Uh, we've been married 35 years. She deserves a medal. We've been married 35 years. Uh, we were engaged for nine months. Now, at the time, that seemed like a really long time, nine months. Now, from the perspective of eternity, 35 years, uh, <laughs> the nine months seem like 10 minutes. Right, so when are we going to get married? Soon. But it's nine months soon. Right, so it could be that. You say, I see you'll get it soon. But I suspect it's more likely he means quickly as in, bang, when it comes, it'll come in a rush. It'll happen very quickly. And that's the whole point. you Look across the left-hand side of the page. See verses 26, 27, 28. I won't read them now. Uh, but the story of Noah and the story of Lot, two Old Testament characters, the whole point of Jesus mentioning those stories is saying, you know, the people in Noah's day, the people in Lot's day, eating, drinking, uh, having fun, ignoring God. And then God's judgment came, bang, quickly, very quickly. One, one last thing to notice it's a strange thing that Jesus says at the end of verse 8, isn't it? He says, However, when the Son of Man comes, that's his way of talking about himself. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? What's he mean? I I think he means it can be hard to live and to trust him and in the Bible, faith or trust, same same words, depends how you translate it. Faith or trust can be can be difficult, it can be hard to, to hold on. Especially when life doesn't go the way that you write the script. And I'd say to you, if you're if you're investigating, if you're wanting to find out about what it means to be a Christian, you might begin to kind of I don't know how to put it to, to reach out towards God. It may well be that as you pray, as you want things, God won't do what you want. Life won't work out the way that you would write the script. Okay. I'll finish up by going back. Uh, Friday, when I have um, uh, uh, when I have lunch with my friend who's a sceptic, and he might ask me this question again about how to tell when God's on holidays, I think i need to be honest and say the world is ambiguous. And if that's all we had, sure, there's there's lots of evidence that points towards God, Creation and science and all of those things. For the person who's the Christian believer, Jesus promised that he'd give them his spirit, and the spirit of God changes your heart and your attitude towards God, and that you can know him and love his word and want to obey him. But for the outsider, for the for the onlooker, yes, it does the world is ambiguous. So is there an answer? Yes. And, and it's an answer too when sometimes even for the follower of Jesus you can feel, how would I put it spiritually dry that you, you can struggle with doubt those things, is there anything to really hang on to? yes you keep going back to the birth life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus that's kind of like anchored in history the theologians report called the Christ event and the evidence for that is very strong I think very strong. And so what do we have? Well, we have the, the words of Jesus, as he promised. I'll crucify him, as he said in, in verse 25. Uh, he promised he'd rise from the dead. Those things happen. He's promised he'll come back. And he's promised he will absolutely bring justice to his people who have been wrongly treated. That's his promise that, that we hang on to. Uh, so, Al, there's plenty of people who uh, don't get justice uh, and might die without seeing justice. How does prayer help them? Uh, there's plenty of people who... So so, can people you read this? again? nice again. Plenty of people who, who might not get justice uh, yep. before they die, so persecuted Christians. So, so how does prayer help uh, if we don't see justice before we die? Right. So... Uh, This promise from Jesus is to those who would follow him and to his disciples. Um, God has said he'll set a day and he'll judge the world with justice. Eventually, everyone will be judged for what it is that they've done. But this is a particular promise from Jesus that one day he will come back and, if you like, uh, give justice to, or you can use the word avenge, uh, rightly. Uh, ...for the wrong that's been done to his people. And that he will set up his kingdom... ...and, and chapter 7 is about the kingdom of God... ...whether there be no more mourning or crying or pain... ...and so he calls on his people to look to that. Now for those who don't follow Jesus... ...there's a promise that everyone will face the judgment of God... ...where he will judge people on the basis of what they've done. The number one thing God will be looking for is... ...how have we responded to God and for the good things He's given us and so on, how have we responded before our Creator and His offer of forgiveness? Uh, Okay, the floor. Is anyone who has any questions they'd like to pass out? Yes, sir. So, with this passage and with other things you've said, it looks like God's made as promises um, and I'm assuming that we can trust the promises will happen. If that's the case, it seems like a done deal Ah, okay, thank you. If God's, um, if God's made these promises and it feels like we can trust these promises, it feels like a done deal. What's the point in praying? Uh, good question, good question. The Bible's not fatalistic. The fatalism would say, well, it's all pre-planned, but why, why should we do anything? The Bible actually says that prayer changes things. So in James, um, the book of James says, you do not have because you do not ask. In fact, sometimes God even tells his people to pray and uses those prayers as a way to do what he wanted to do. So, in the book of Job, when Job's friends are bullheads heads and say a whole lot of wrong things, God says, that Job will pray for you, and because he prays for you, I'll forgive you. Or when God's going to um, send rain on the land in the Old Testament, God says to Elijah, I want you to pray. That I'll send rain, and then Elijah prays, and God sends the rain. So I I put it to you that it's not fatalism because we actually deal with a personal God, and as praying that God will do this, actually God will build that into His purposes. Or to put it simply, I think prayer actually changes things. The world is different because God's people pray. How that works exactly with God being in charge, God having decided, we pro- it's above my pay grade. I'm just going kind to... Of like- Do you want to push back on that one? No. Right, okay, let's... and the Rationists. the rationalists. Yeah. Um, I don't know that particular group, but my guess is you could belong to, to both. Yeah. Uh, my friend who's a secretary of the Skeptic Society comes to our, our Sunday home church and sits and we, we read the Bible as a group and it, now that keeps on the toes. Okay. So uh, he's there, we've become quite good friends. It makes for interesting lunches as we uh, <laughs> it's like playing chess really, uh, anyway as we try and convert <laughs> each other. So, <laughs> yep, yep. And and we're able to talk very politely and be friends, and yet we both know we fundamentally disagree with one another about about the most important thing. So, uh, we've to come to yep, um, What can comfort us when we are persecuted, and is there anything we can do in addition to prayer uh, when we're persecuted? The beginning of that, what's something? Uh, what can comfort us when we are persecuted? Uh, what can comfort us when we are persecuted is in particular in the prayer. The New Testament says if you follow Jesus, inevitably you'll face difficulties because of that. So Paul writes to Timothy and says, Anyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. Jesus says um, they hated the world, hated him, and so they'll hate the followers. What Peter says in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 is make sure that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're suffering, it's not because you've been a um uh, he doesn't say that, it's not because you've been stupid or done the wrong thing, that if you do the right thing and suffer for it, that's good. Okay? Um, it's interesting, in the book of Acts, the apostles actually thought that it was a privilege to be able to suffer for the name of Jesus. To carry the name of Jesus and to suffer because of that is a privilege. Uh, there's a sense in which, uh, in the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul says that he his, his suffering fills up what was lacking in the suffering of Jesus. And that doesn't mean that. Uh, and there's something to do with forgiveness or paying the price of, of forgiveness. It's saying that somehow in the in people being say in people being say people coming to know God, people being forgiven. There's suffering that's part of God's people in in people hearing that message. And so as he suffers, in order that people can hear the message, he kind of like fills up some of what what had to happen even more than Jesus' suffering. In terms of prayer, I think it's fine to ask and to pray that, that God might limit that or take that away. It's more likely... I think what the New Testament says, pray that you stand firm and be a good witness and and respond the right way. Now, it's worth thinking through then. God loves his people. Why would he allow persecution to happen? One of the clear reasons is that it, it refines faith. So in Peter's first letter, he says that persecution and suffering is like a refiner's fire in the way that you get dross out of uh, metal and uh, you heat it up in a crucible. That's the idea, that, that persecution clarifies and purifies mm-hmm. faith and, and, and makes that stronger. So there's a whole lot of random thoughts. Huh? <laughs> it's, uh, like... is, uh, so is, isn't prayer also uh, an important opportunity for us to just stop from our busy lives and direct our minds as to what we should be asking for? Absolutely. So isn't prayer an opportunity for us to stop from our busy lives and, and actually focus on what we should be speaking We've God about? Absolutely. Yep. So so the New Testament teaches lots about prayer. The New Testament teaches you can pray about anything and everything. Jesus is certainly a man of prayer. Particularly in Luke 18, Jesus is talking about the prayer of, please God, bring justice to your people who've suffered because they follow you. And that's why it can actually feel a bit arm's length, I guess, for many of us if, you, if you're a Christian, because we, we don't suffer a great deal, at least I have, right, for, for being a Christian. But in so much of the rest of the world, it's a red-hot issue. Any other questions from you? Yeah. On the world, don't we show you the martyrs? Is two South American countries and one European country. Uh, what's the issue there? You know? uh, I, I've, got to, I've got to say I, I didn't look enough. I can't answer that. I'm sorry. Well, of the uh, the European country and the two South American, I, I'm going to have to say I don't know. I'm sorry. I just grabbed that off the website. Um, yep. You can work out what the like what the 45 in the middle are. It's Islam, but I, I don't know about the South American or European. Uh, it could be the Ukraine, but I—I I don't. Know. I'm sorry. I had a question come through. Um, Christians have a God, Jesus, and the Spirit. Does it matter who we pray to or, or how that works? Uh, Christians have God, Jesus, and the Spirit. One God, three persons. Yes. You can pray to Jesus. Speak to Jesus as Lord. That's you'll find that in the New Testament. But the usual pattern of prayer uh, that you see in the New Testament is this, is to pray to God the Father um, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus is to say, because of what Jesus has done, because he's forgiven us, because I belong to him, and because he's the, the one who's spotless, the one who's earned this, I belong to him, so I can ask God for things in Jesus' name. It's like saying, I belong to him, please listen to me. And in terms of the, the role of the Spirit, interesting in, Rome, in, in the book of Romans, Paul says even if you if you don't know what to pray, the Spirit of God will help you to pray or kind of pray on your behalf. The spirit of God moves you to pray. Even like yes, if you can't articulate what it is you want to say, God's Spirit helps His people to pray. But that's that's, that's the usual pattern. Uh, in no, other words, how it's hard to actually pray and sometimes just want to pray, do you have any tips? Uh, it's hard to pray. So yes, it is hard to pray. Um, uh, I have a, I have a very short attention. Oh, hey, look, a bird. Um, <laughs> my wife says, oh, attention span has been with goldfish. Uh, I think she's probably right. I work on, I actually make a little list of things I'm going to pray about. So when I sit down, I don't manage this every morning, but I have a certain place I go, I sit down at my desk, I read a little part of the I have a little book, and I write the date, and I write a few things that I really want to pray about, and then if I do get, oh, hey, a bird, I come back and I'm still working my way down this. That's this. That's why it's not particularly sophisticated, but it just helps me. Some people have a particular time of day they like to pray. Some people have a particular place that they like to pray. Some people... Uh, Journaling. Some people actually write out in full sentences the prayers that they want to pray. None of those things are essential, but if they help, then that's. The New Testament never teaches techniques of prayer, like um, you know, kneel down or repeat things again and again or whatever. What the New Testament teaches is relationship, that you can pray to God because of what Jesus has done for us. And how he brings us into the family of God, and so we can call God Father. That's what the New Testament teaches about prayer. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city, or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.